It's October. Halloween is just around the corner, but the devil's arrived early. This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 186, where we're talking about Daredevil, season 3, episode 1. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. We are back with Daredevil, the granddaddy, I guess, of the Netflix shows. And we're here to talk about Season 3, Episode 1. We don't have a title for this one yet, because, as usual, we are recording a little bit in advance of the episodes coming out on Netflix. Uh, but I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Defenders. I am one of your other hosts, John. Great to be back for Daredevil. And yes, it is a comforting blanket, that theme tune, as it rocks on in its brooding way. It's, Love it. Yes, certainly is. Unfortunately, Chris isn't joining us for this first episode of Daredevil Season 3. We got the episodes a little bit later than we normally do, and that meant that Chris, unfortunately, has work commitments, which meant that he can't come along for this episode. But we'll be back with this later on for the rest of the season. Yes, uh, we can't wait to have Christoph back, who is, of course, a big Daredevil fan. Mm-hmm. A bit like me now. At, at this stage, after three seasons, really uh, certainly enjoying this version of Daredevil that Charlie Cox uh, brings to the screen and mm-hmm. his version of Matt Murdock, really, really good. And of course, we'll get into that in our spoiler-filled review of episode one. Uh, for any of you coming new to Defenders TV podcast, you can get access to everything we do over at our website. Go over to DefendersTVPodcast.com. There is a subscribe section to any good or evil podcast catcher of your choice. Please head on over and subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. Uh, and, of course, you can find all our podcasts there for this third season of Daredevil over on your favorite podcast catcher. Yeah, and we're still hoping to release two episodes a week for Daredevil, but that may not be possible. We'll do our best to get our episodes out twice a week uh, throughout this season. Yes, and of course, you can head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast, where, as usual, we will put up our spoiler posts for all the members of the group to comment, discuss, leave their views on each episode of Daredevil Season 3. And of course, any of the feedback there, any of the discussion points, we will read out on our feedback section after we have covered our top five points, which is the way that we do it. Or should I say our case notes Mm -hmm. for Daredevil? Yes, we take five top case notes of the episode and discuss them in detail. And then, of course, we look to either defend or not defend the episode, depending on how good or evil it is. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Uh, unfortunately, quick other apology before we get into our details of this episode. We did say we were going to have our review of Venom, the latest movie from Sony uh, in the Spider-Man-verse, sort of. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get time to record that before we started our coverage of Daredevil. We may get it recorded, but it will most likely be in time for the home release on DVD and Blu-ray uh, later on in the year. Yes. Um, unfortunately, the stars did not align uh, between myself, Derek, or Chris for us to bring you the Venom podcast, mm-hmm. which is kind of uh, sad, really, because um, I'm a little gutted by it, because I have to say... 
I really enjoyed Venom uh, as, a, as a movie. So I cannot wait to hear Chris's thoughts on what he thought of it. He's exactly. a big, big Spider-Man fan uh-huh. above all else in the Marvel Universe. And of course, Venom being such uh, an antagonist uh, and villain to Spider-Man. I'd really like to get to know uh, his take on Venom. But unfortunately, yes, the stars just did not align between the three of us to be able to sit down and discuss that movie uh, released the back at the start of October. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I would probably say maybe a three out of five for me. Uh, really enjoyable, fun movie. Uh, go see it if you, if you have a free afternoon. Uh, not going to set the world alight, but it's definitely fun to watch. But with that, Derek, give us some of the episode details for Daredevil Season 3, Episode 1, episode title to be confirmed. <laughs> yep, this episode was directed by Mark Jobst. He did uh, Daredevil Season 2, Episode 3. You remember the one where Punisher strapped Daredevil to the top of the building and they were trying to explain to each other what their versions of justice was. Uh, and they were having that constant argument about whether you kill the person that you're up against or not, and Punisher was trying to convince Daredevil to kill. Yeah? So that's a, a big moment for Mark Jobst. He's done loads of other episodes throughout the Defender series. He did uh, two episodes of Luke Cage, just to get a rep in season one, and Wig Out in season two. He did Punish- Punisher episode nine, Front Towards Enemy, and he also directed the season one finale of Run- Runaways as well. So he's done loads of work in the Marvel TV universe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he is one of the top blokes, is Mark Jobst, on... Um the Marvel Universe or mm-hmm. Marvel TV Universe, at least. So, yeah, great to have him back doing episode one. Yeah, and this episode was written by Eric Olsen, our brand new showrunner for season three of Daredevil. This is the fifth showrunner for Daredevil so far, so far, with Drew Goddard, the original creator, dropping out before the first episode because of scheduling issues. Uh, Stephen Denight stayed for the first season, and then Marco Ramirez and Doug Pitry took on the character throughout Daredevil season two and into The Defenders, leaving the way open for Eric Olsen to take on Daredevil season three. Uh, he was a producer on Man in the High Castle and was also co-producer of season three of so uh, heavily involved in some superhero stuff and also one of the wonderful shows over on Amazon. Yeah, streaming. that's a really interesting pick and mix, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I love the book, The Man in the High Castle. Never gotten to see um, the show on Amazon Prime, although I've heard great things. And it's one of those ones I've wanted to watch, just not got around to do it. But it is a great book by Philip K. Dick. So I would absolutely uh, recommend anyone to go and check that out as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that alternate universe, um, so intriguing, you know, that idea of what would happen if the Nazis had won and had taken over North America, at least to a certain point from the East and then from the West coming in were the Japanese. So, yeah, it's one of those alternate realities of what if. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, really, really good. And then, of course, season three of Arrow, yeah, I think that was still when Arrow was pretty darn good. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I think it was. John, do you want to tell us what he gave us with your synopsis for this episode? Sure. Matt Murdock, the devil of Hell's Kitchen, is bruised and battered, but alive after being buried by the destruction at Midland Circle. As he recuperates at St. Agnes Orphanage, where he grew up, he realizes he has lost his hearing in one ear, which has thrown off his powers. He's also lost his belief in God, and he refuses to reconnect with Karen and Foggy. But luckily for Matt Murdock, his confidant, Father Lantham, and head of the orphanage, Sister Maggie, still believe in him. 
Slowly but surely, they help recuperate his body and his soul, and Matt Murdock gradually and tentatively returns to the street of Hell's Kitchen as vigilante Daredevil. In Riker's Island prison, Wilson Fisk learns that his true love, Vanessa, is being targeted as an accessory to his crimes by the FBI. But as a young and heavily indebted special agent, Raina Dean, comes to take his monthly statement in prison, Wilson Fisk wants to make a deal to protect the woman that he loves. Yes, really taking lots from Daredevil Season 1 and 2 and Defenders and putting it all together in this episode with some brand new characters and some interesting storylines here. Really nice to see our Wilson Fisk back and a great reintroduction to Wilson Fisk in here and poor old Matt going through some terrible, terrible troubles in the orphans. Yeah, he's he's in a pretty bad place, is old Matt. But that is not surprising given that, uh, yes, an entire building... An entire skyscraper, no less, did fall on him, Mm -hmm. uh, along with Elektra, who potentially has fared less well. But (laughs) I think with our first case note, uh, because of that carnage at uh, Midland Circle, Matt Murdock returns to the orphanage. Yes, he is seen here at Clinton Church and with Sister Maggie uh, looking after him, tending to his wounds, Uh, as he slowly but surely recuperates here in the orphanage. It's a really um, excellent kind of moment here because, um, you know, at the end of The Defenders, after the credits, we see him in this same bed, um, seemingly in a convent. But here, it's a return to the orphanage that he grew up in. He knows Sister Maggie. She was the, you know, slightly detached disciplinarian Mm. of the orphanage and um yeah it's a really nice return of matt murdoch to his childhood place where he grew up where he had his initial accident and there's some really nice moments i think that stand out here and that kind of reconnect back to that i love the fact that as he's kind of coming around you have all this blurriness uh, you know the soft focus Uh, taking place the muffled sound but what you do hear is the younger version of matt murdoch's uh, shouting out i can't see um you know that kind of flashback just through the sound it's really nice uh moment and i think it's it's really subtle uh that he does that but he he's the in hospital and he's lost his hearing in one of his ears i think it's his right one um and because of that obviously his power set and his ability to um, hear things that have been heightened previously with the loss of his eyesight has been lost. Yeah. His ability to move as though he isn't blind um, has been lost. So, yeah, you know, really significant things here have happened to him uh, through the accident at Midland Circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they use lots of vision and sound Definitely. cues just to show off what's happened to poor Matt. You know, uh, this idea that he's lost the, the hearing in one ear means that it's tr- thrown off his balance completely. He can no longer use that kind of radar sense, I suppose, that we almost saw. It's not exactly like it is in the comic books, but it's similar to that, where he's kind of able to sense out everything around him when he's able to use, you know, his smell, his sense of smell and a sense of hearing to kind of bounce off everything that's around him. Um, a quite interesting way that they've done it. Uh, one of the things that is quite challenging about it is, though, they are dropping some clues as to who the characters are and how long Matt's been knocked out uh, and unfortunately because of the the choice here using the sound cues to show that he's lost his hearing 
you may miss little touches that are in there unless you have the subtitles on. Uh, for example, we're told early on that he's been in recovery for about seven weeks or several weeks. I'm not too sure exactly what it, <laughs> what it was. Um, we hear the name Sister Maggie Grace there as as her name. It's only mentioned once and it's also kind of cut out a little bit by his hearing. So uh, it is Sister Maggie, definitely played wonderfully by Joanne Wally in this role. There's a touch of stick about her, I think. She's got that kind of smarmy attitude a lot with with Matt when he's uh, questioning how he should be living and giving her a bit of attitude. She's very quickly able to deal with him. You can tell they have a long existing relationship. And as you mentioned, John, yeah, it seems that she was in charge of this orphanage when he was a kid growing up there after his father died, after he'd already lost his sight. It was then that he was put into the orphanage. You know, so he's he's already gone through a lot of this and she seems like a person that isn't really willing to put up with a bit of moaning from or whining or self-pity from Matt. I do think the relationship with Father Lantham and Matt is quite interesting as well because yeah, really he's good. so used to dealing with Matt having his issues and just going to him with his Catholic guilt and with with his uh, self-pity and Father Lantham just reads a bit of scripture and tells him what he thinks about it and then Matt kind of picks himself up and goes on. But He's telling him here that he's not willing to do that anymore. He's he, Absolutely, yeah. He makes a very definitive moment of turning his back on Father Lantham when he says, do you want to take commun- communion now and give me your confession? And Matt turns his back on him and goes, not now. We hear later on Sister Maggie saying to him, would you join me for Mass? And he says, maybe next time. You know, so yeah, he's very it, much making this statement throughout this episode that he feels different than he did. I think it's a, I, it's one of the great images of this first episode, actually, for me, uh, where uh, Matt turns his back on Father Lantern, mm-hmm. uh, and you have that close-up of half of Matt's face. You know, he, he's cut, he's bruised, he's looking bloody. And, you know, it's not really... So much that he's turning his back on Father Lantern, but he's turning his back on the religion that fueled him so, so much. And it's a, a really good um, way of showing that gradual change in Matt Murdock's mindset towards the religion, the Catholicism that used to fuel him and that now, you know, his friend, his confidant in Father Lantern, that he would share his troubles share his secrets Mm -hmm. he is not willing to take that confessional uh that mass in the same way that he used to so i I think that was a beautiful scene a really nice choice and a great metaphor for ultimately what comes later with um with sister maggie and again i you know i think for me come to that later with case note three but a great interaction between sister maggie and matt murdoch as well i think it's really really good it just feels so in your face between the two of them yeah you know it's the boy that's grown up and is not afraid of the the sister in charge of the orphanage any longer Mm -hmm. but it is the head of the orphanage who still sees him as the younger kid and also is still being who she's being and she will um be pretty honest and brutal to him as well you know she will say it as she sees it so i i think this is really really nice to be honest i think the other thing is obviously with it being a catholic um orphanage there's a lot of crucifix imagery going on Mm -hmm. in, in this but i did like the crucifix image of matt 
with the fiery sky as he falls into this flooded basement of Midland Circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was a really great bit of imagery um, as he is in the shape of the cross there as well. I thought yeah. that was quite nice. Yeah, um, yeah and after his, his washout... Um, we see that he somehow calls a taxi. Um, <laughs> I thought it was really funny, actually. Uh, you know, you see this yellow taxi turn up. And, of course, we're always asked to look out for potential um, Mark Specter, a.k.a. Moon Knight references here. And, of course, Mark Specter does drive a cab around New York. Mm. Um, and we just kind of wondered, that's really good that, you know, a taxi driver has come to save him. I wonder if, although... <laughs> It did kind of look slightly Wilson Fisky. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it could have been slightly um, hallucinogenic, I suppose, in a way, or whatever. But I, I think certainly it was just uh, in the credits. The taxi driver was unfortunately called uh, something like Mr. Taxi Driver. The taxi driver, yes, yeah. unfortunately. Unfortunately. But you never know. Uh, I doubt, it's very doubtful that that's, uh, that's our Moon Knight moment for the series. And remember, it is New York, which is just full of yellow taxis. So we'll be keeping an eye out, though, just to see if there is an appearance by him in the future. And let's get on to case note number two. Karen goes and visits Matt's apartment. And they finally do the thing we've wanted them to do for so long. That moment at the end of season two of Daredevil. Remember, it was a big cliffhanger. We had... Matt turning up with the mask and revealing to himself that he is Daredevil. And we never really got to see her reaction because it moved on to the series of Defenders where they couldn't really encapsulate her real reaction to Matt. They didn't have that moment of what happened directly afterwards. So we get a flashback as she's in the apartment, uh, seeing exactly how she reacted, seeing how mad she was at Matt, but then also stating that Um, how could she be mad at the person that saved her life as well? So they did start to develop their relationship a little bit uh, and a little bit more than we saw in The Defenders, which is really good. I'm really glad they had that moment. I love that we have her trying to compare um, Matt to Frank Castle, saying that, you know, he why why did he give such a criticism of Frank Castle when he's Daredevil? And Matt's instantly going, well, it's because I don't kill. And this guy kills. I've read his heart. He's shown me who he truly is. And I'm not like him. And it's a good argument for those two characters to have. Yeah, I I thought this was really nice that they revisited uh, this moment between these two. Mm -hmm. Um, I I thought it really gave a sense of Karen's anger, uh, but also the fact that she was trying to rationalize why she wasn't angry and also was angry. You Mm -hmm. know, I I can't be mad towards someone who tried to save me yet i am you know she's trying to kind of rationalize it uh, so much and i think it adds a lot to season two of, of daredevil and and that storyline ultimately when you when you watch it back so i thought this was a really good thing to do i, I think in general you needed to reconnect with these characters within the daredevil universe yeah. it, it's been two years mm-hmm. maybe slightly more you know, we've seen them, yes, in, in Defenders, but that's as an ensemble. And so, yes, Karen and Foggy were there, but they were only there in part in, in many respects. Yeah, I couldn't really just jump into their into their storylines as much as you would want to if it was their own show. And it kind of has to bring them all back to that place where it was at the end of season two. Remember, this show was announced in June of 2016 that we were getting a season three of Daredevil, you know, uh, just after the show had come out, the second season of the show had come out. So we knew it was coming, but it just feels like such a long time. It's two and a half years, you know, that's really difficult for anybody to keep it in their mind exactly what happened in the last season. So really necessary for them to go back over some of these storylines. And also, 
obviously the fact that Karen Page played such a huge role in Frank Castle's life during Punisher season one, you know, really important to address why she did that and why she felt that what Frank Castle was doing was similar to what Daredevil did, even though Matt doesn't feel it's the same. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that was a great moment where, you know, she goes, I wouldn't judge Frank Castle. And, and Matt Murdock is really saying, well, maybe you should. Mm-hmm. The guy's a murderer. I'm not. And then Karen, of course, kind of says, well, people have different motives and come from different places. But yeah. in effect, he's right. You know, they are very different. And it's nice to have that moment uh, as well. I think one of the thing here is that we do get Matt explaining his powers to Karen as well, exp- explaining exactly how he's able to tell you know what she feels. He knows that she has gone for a walk and has done some kind of reminiscing because of how th- he can smell the food on her clothes of their favorite Indian restaurant that they went to, all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. I love that moment. And you can tell, as he says himself, you can tell that she's, kind of put off by that as well as being impressed by it in a way. So um, so I, I don't know how, how dangerous that is in a relationship to tell a person exactly what's going on in their mind and that you can almost read their mind just by your senses. You well, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this moment where Karen visits Matt's apartment is, you know, it, it takes you back to um, the events of season two, mm-hmm. but it also brings you back to the events of the the defenders mm-hmm. and and we see here karen you know she's maintaining his rent on his apartment in new york yeah and um, you know it's probably a, a huge problem to carry these two rents in new york let alone one and of course she brings foggy in to pay some of the bills as well and so that reconnects foggy with karen you know there was that kind of tension between foggy and karen in the sense that you you kind of got the sense that foggy had some kind of feelings towards her mm-hmm. but she was becoming more and more obsessed with daredevil and then of course the reveal that daredevil was his best friend matt murdoch yeah you know so again reconnecting with these uh two characters uh what was really good you know foggy delivers uh, a good amount of sobering truth here you know matt's gone you know a building fell on him still holds out hope that he will come back she says and keeping you know his apartment going until he gets back yeah and yeah. um, so this is a really nice moment because you saw how much it affected the two of them at the end of defenders so um i really enjoyed uh these scenes in matt's apartment and it is a tough balancing act for any showrunner to do something like this or any writer to do something like this because we as the audience are seeing Matt, you know, in other scenes just down the road. So how do you keep the emotional weight in there? So it's good that they have Foggy taking a bit of blame in here, that he blames himself because he's the one that brought Matt the Daredevil suit. If he hadn't done that, as he says, if he brought him a pair of tracksuit bottoms, then maybe Matt would have just sat on the couch and let everybody else go out and fight. And he wouldn't be the one that's dead. And Foggy corrects himself and says he's dead. And he needs to believe that he's dead. And he says it out loud for the first time. You know, it's good that we have that moment where Foggy's willing to take on Karen's correction almost. Whereas what Karen believes that he would do is go, actually, maybe you're right. I am still holding out a bit of hope. But he doesn't do that for any more seconds than he needs to. The minute Karen points it out to him, he goes, you're right. I'm going to now say it and I'm going to now accept it like you should, Karen. Yeah, no, I mean, it was really good. And I think what makes this even more melancholic in a way is that just before we get to that scene where Karen is coming up the stairs to the door of Matt's apartment, you know, you have seen Matt in the orphanage Mm -hmm. just after Maggie 
and Sister Maggie has said, this isn't a convalescence home. You, you know, you're, you're over the worst of it. You're in recovery. You need to get out and go somewhere else. Yeah. Is there anyone that you can call? And of course, he keeps Foggy and Karen out of that loop. He says, no, I haven't got anyone to call. He doesn't call them. So you have that juxtaposed against the two of them longing for his return. Mm-hmm. Matt is returned, but is refusing to reconnect with his two friends, uh, you know? So I, I thought this was really, really well done. Yeah. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, and the upshot of it is that they do agree to split the payments for just one more month just to keep the hope alive that possibly Matt would be coming back uh, in the future. So they will uh, keep the apartment for a little while longer anyway. Uh, interestingly, in the run-up to the show, which I thought was quite a fun little tie-in for the show, uh, they ran an ad on Craigslist, the official uh, Daredevil production ran an ad on Craigslist saying that this apartment would be available for rent from the 19th of October 2018. <laughs> <It was a> nice, <laughs> Excellent stuff, stuff yeah. Good, good job, marketing department for Daredevil. Uh, let's get on to case note number three, John. Yeah, I'd rather die a devil. Mm. I think this is a fantastic part in this episode. I think it's really where Sister Maggie and Matt Murdock clash together, or should I say come together, you know, in in this moment. It's got some great dialogue scenes, and I I think this is what I was kind of alluding to in, in Case Note 1. You know, there is great interaction between Matt Murdock and uh Sister Maggie, especially in this moment where he renounces effectively his trust and his belief in God, um, you know, and, and what he used to believe in as Daredevil and as Matt Murdock and why he put the devil suit on. I, I think this is a really nice moment between the two of them. You know, they gradually move him down to the crypt when they realize um, that he hasn't got anywhere to go. And, that, you know, Sister Maggie's still a bit miffed by all of this. And ultimately, she thinks that he is um, kind of just sort of kicking around, really, sort of uh, wallowing in his own self-indulgence. And mm-hmm. there's a great moment where she calls him a coward, uh, you know, as the coward in the crypt, I suppose. Um, and, and she talks about his father and that, you know, she saw him go down many a time, but he never stayed down. He always got up to fight again. So, you know, the, there's a bit of encouragement here in her own harsh way, yeah. I suppose. And I, I thought this was really good, but certainly... Uh, Matt Murdock's speech here uh, about uh, God's servant Job and, you know, God's soldier and and how ultimately um, he no longer wanted to be God's soldier wearing the devil's uh, suit, you know, and that he suffered willingly. Sister Maggie still doesn't kind of accept any of it. She hears him. She hears the whining, but she's like... Um, she's not willing to accept. She she does uh, stand up to him, but I, I think you know Matt Murdock has a really nice moment where he goes, "I am what I do in the dark. I bleed only for myself. I don't hate him. I've seen his true face." And he goes, "You know, I prefer to die as the devil rather than live as Matt Murdock." Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting discussion. Obviously, again, I'm sure Father Lantham and Sister Maggie have had this all their lives in the church and in the Catholic Church. Everybody always questions scripture. That's the whole point of scripture, really. Everybody has their thoughts on what it means and what the parables and stories have meant. 
And I'm sure I know from experience as being as growing up a Catholic, I know everybody always questions those teachings of God. And anybody that works within the faith will have had those moments where they've had people come and question the specifics of a parable told within the Bible. The story of Job, the idea of God's servant who slaughters these animals in worship to God. And then God comes back and slaughters his children, but he still won't give them up. Yeah, I totally get that you can take that story to mean what Matt thinks it means. Why the hell would you give up your life for a, a torturous God, a person that wouldn't respect what you've done for them? That isn't the meaning of that particular parable. Yeah, It is showing how much God was believed in by Job, and he is the best of his servants because he's willing to give up everything for his God. It's an Old Testament parable, so you can kind of see what the meaning of it was there, but every single piece of the Bible is being torn apart by someone that is going through a crisis of faith like Matt here. And I think it's a really good choice to do this. This is something that Matt goes through quite often. He is a Catholic. He does have those moments of questioning his religion and having someone as strong in front of him as Maggie, who's dealt with loads of orphans over the year, going through yeah. many, many troubles and someone like Father Lantham, who's gone through all of Hell's Kitchen around him going through many crises over the time. So having those two characters on either side of Matt is always a good choice for this show. Really, really enjoy those moments. Definitely. I mean, I think as well here, you know, Charlie Cox is absolutely phenomenal. His facial expressions, his mannerisms mm -hmm. um, are just excellent. The way he portrays uh, Matt Murdock with the loss of his hearing, you know, falling over that kind of stone bench, uh, trying to figure his way uh, around the space. I just think it is really, really good. And the expressions on his eyes and his face, you know, yeah. the look of hurt or the look of bewilderment whilst his eyes are trying to uh, look around or up uh, to try and just moving around to the sounds that he can hear. And I think just how that plays with the soft focus and the muffled sound as well as a, a choice by the director and the script writers is really, really good. But I mean, you have to give props to, to Charlie Cox here. I, I just thought he was phenomenal. Yeah. I thought it was really, really good. Once again, yeah, absolutely great, absolutely great. Uh, but we see that part of the problem that he's having is even after these seven weeks or so, several weeks, that he's uh, been unable to manage himself the way he used to be able to. We see that a lot of it's to do with his sinuses. He, can't, he can no longer smell food when it's coming in. Not even the type of food, it's that he can't smell when she's bringing food. She's bringing in a drink to him. He has no idea what it is anymore. So he's lost all of those powers because his sinuses are completely backed up. And she thinks a hot toddy will cure this for him. Sister Maggie believes that this might help him out. Uh, but he does find um, something to clear out his, his senses, his sinuses. <laughs> yes, he does. It is a nasal douche, or I suppose the trade name would be a neti pot. Right, right. Yes, um, which, to be honest, I've done that a few times. Mm -hmm. I've used one of those because I have kind of sinus issues. But uh, certainly, uh, thankfully, that amount of blood certainly doesn't come out of, of my, my nostrils. Yeah. yeah, I was like, going, oh my God. God, the guy's going to die. I know. Um, but he does I, describe that to Sister Maggie beforehand. He says all he can smell is blood and ash in his in his sinuses because of how much is in there yeah. from the explosion. You can kind of see you know, how bad it must have been. Well, and coming through the sewers like he did, who knows what's up that nose. But certainly it was just like, whoa, okay. <laughs> that is a bloody nose for sure. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, that moment afterwards... I absolutely love mm -hmm. where he touches and you kind of get that scratchy 
vibration as he touches the the mirror and the edge of the glass and and the floor and he has that conversation with sister maggie about you know there are six underground lines that run through here there goes the number six you know and she's like well you're just showing off now Uh, like Mm -hmm. really really good i think also quick thing we do have a whiskey watch here and i think for the first time in absolutely ages or if not, it's the first time ever we get an Irish whiskey. We get Jameson's, just yeah. a little uh, <laughs> nagging of Jameson's whiskey as well. It makes a lot uh, of sense for it to be Matt Murdock. And, absolutely. You know, and the residents of Hell's Kitchen, a lot of Irish Americans there. So, of course, Jameson would be very popular there. So, well done, guys. Yeah, uh, I love that, that this is modern medicine at its finest. <laughs> absolutely. I, whiskey, and, whiskey and pills. <laughs> I love it. I, whiskey I, pills and a slice of lemon. I, and I love Sister Maggie goes, if you want modern medicine, you can get out and go to hospital. <laughs> it's, it's like a still another little dig at her and he uh, and he gets a told off straight away. Again, a lots of stick about Sister Maggie. Really do like her. But yeah, as you say, he goes straight back to his former training regime. Uh, and we see him instantly going back to get the punching bag and doing his push-ups the minute he knows that he's able to to feel again i suppose uh, and sister maggie gets a boxer in uh, with <laughs> with uh, father lantham to test him a little bit yeah no i love this I, I love that you have that kind of conversation of the two of them whispering saying well um you know it's the only thing that's got him out of bed so far is the fact that, you know, he, he's he's able to train and all that. And they've brought in this boxer to really find out how he's doing. And, you know, he there's a good bit of sparring here and I really enjoyed it. And I, I, I did like that moment where after kind of that first little bout, the boxer turns back to Father Lantern and he goes, he hits hard. He mm-hmm. hits hard. Really, really nice. Uh, but then, of course, he does wallop uh, Daredevil's bad ear, or should I say Matt Murdock's bad ear. And so he's kind of disorientated again yeah. uh, and kind of loses it. And again, just phenomenal uh, acting by by Charlie Cox here. I mm-hmm. thought it was really nice little fighting scene here between him and this boxer for hire. Yeah. And also very important that he gets hit in the ear because he didn't take Sister Maggie's advice of putting the helmet on. If the boxing helmet had been on, he wouldn't have had that instant reaction to the to the punch in the, in the ear. I do love the comment from the boxer as he walks in and goes, you want me to punch a blind guy? Well, <laughs> I suppose it's better than 10 Our Fathers, isn't it? <laughs> nice little touch. Um, so I guess he obviously went in for confession and Father Latham said, hey, come on, come on downstairs and we'll have a little fight. Uh, this is a nice little touch. Yeah, but I mean, certainly we have this rocky moment that ultimately propels him even further to wanting to get back uh, on the streets of Hell's Kitchen Mm. uh, in his vigilante black outfit uh, of Daredevil from season one. Yeah. Um, You know, a remade version of this uh, using kind of the laundry from... um, the the orphanage yeah. and the convent attached to it so a really nice moment here uh were and again all of this has been kind of teased out of him by um sister maggie in in, in these scenes where she's talking to him uh, and, and in effect challenging him riling him up and also through 
Father Lantern, you know, bringing in the boxer and, and, and you know, he, we, we've seen Father Lantern uh, play more of that sort of uh, second cop, not necessarily a bad cop. That's yeah. certainly played by Sister Maggie, but he's that familiar face, I suppose, or, or sound for for Matt Murdock. And ultimately, you know, he sees these new shoots uh, developing yeah. from Matt Murdock as yeah. well. I have to say, I love that moment with Matt sitting downstairs as Sister Maggie goes up to the mass that she's invited him to. And as the choir begins to sing, sing, you see Matt sitting there kind of taking stock of where he is right now. He's just had the fight. He's just been beaten, wondering whether he'll ever be to his real physical best. And then he goes and makes the vigilante suit. It does throw a question up for me. I want to talk to you about this really quickly, uh, John. Um, He goes up on the roof and stands in that wonderful pose with the cross behind him until he hears an attack going on in the city around the area of Hell's Kitchen and then goes out and saves this father and daughter who are uh, being beaten up in the street. He does beat the guys back long enough for them to get away. And then it feels like once they've gone away, he kind of wants the attackers to kill him. He's almost gives up. He does fight a little bit longer, but once both of them are attacking him, he drops to the ground and lifts up a piece of metal and basically offers it to one of the guys to kill him and to take him out. Yeah, I, that's how I that kind how? of uh, saw it as well. Yeah. And then ultimately they don't, the sirens of the police car frighten them off. Yeah. Um, and then I love how the camera pans down and were daredevil has been knelt he's gone and and just that kind of lead piping or metal piping is left on the ground Mm -hmm. but it 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 certainly feels like he maybe he's lost the fight in him maybe he's exhausted you know he's still recovering i would think yeah yeah Um, but it felt like he wanted that one last moment to go out a hero just by saving these people and then being killed i definitely felt there was an element of that for sure Mm -hmm. uh but it could alternatively have been him just losing the physical energy as well. But I definitely get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have sure. to keep an eye out on that one, definitely. Uh, let's go on to case number no, number four. Meanwhile, over on Rikers Island, <laughs> a lovely, lovely moment as we have uh, the Chopin tune. I had to look this one up. Uh, Nocturne Opus 9, number two, this beautiful tune that we hear playing as a camera pans in over... A lovely omelette being made yeah. uh, by Wilson Fisk for himself. It's fantastic. I love this moment that it just shows you how much control Wilson Fisk has over his position in Rikers Island. He sits down. The noise of the uh, of the prison is annoying him, so he just tells them all to be quiet, and the whole place goes quiet. <laughs> this is totally the kingpin of the prison anyway. It was great to have that reconnect back to Wilson Fisk in prison. Mm-hmm. We got that in season two, but I really like the fact that it connected him back to the people that he cares about and loves. I love the fact that, you know, the driver in this episode was Vanessa. You know, for season two, the driver was Frank Castle. Mm-hmm. Here, we get to hear about Vanessa again. We hear that she is being attached to his crimes by the FBI as an accessory to yeah. them. And uh, I love how that gets him riled up. I love how that connects all the way back to season one, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how there are those other connections. You know, he loved making omelets. That was the thing that he did. And here we have this, you know, going from the high living of, you know, fresh herbs in the omelet 
to crime living where you see it on a polystyrene plate with no herbs in with um just the spork um and i that's a really nice little touch to how that scene is captured he is someone you know as we find out that is has the lawyers there he is trying to do the appeal with the great ben donovan mm-hmm. the the lawyer extraordinaire um <laughs> from luke cage uh the the person that dug uh black mariah out of so many um scrapes with with the nypd and and as doug uh wilson fisk out of a few as well so he's been around for a long long time but great to see ben donovan back on the show but it also shows that fisk doesn't see him being himself being in prison as much of a punishment at all. He's able to go away in his own head. He's able to have control when he needs silence in the in the prison. So he's able to do that. And as after he's been told about Vanessa, we get another callback to season one. We yeah. get him looking at that white wall, as we saw at the end of season one, the white wall that reminded him of the first time he met Vanessa in front of the gigantic white painting. Yes, the in rabbit one. in the snow. Great little touchbacks to season one here mm. for for this character, uh, Wilson Fisk, and, and certainly um, a great reintroduction to uh, Wilson Fisk. I actually wasn't expecting him in episode one just because he certainly didn't appear till much later in season two. Um, I knew he was going to be in this season, but yeah. I, I don't know. I wasn't expecting that reveal in in uh, the first episode. So it was nice to come back to Wilson Fisk. He mm-hmm. is fantastic. Played by, again, the awesome Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, yes. Um, so, yeah, great to see here Vincent D'Onofrio re-energizing Wilson Fisk. And I think that brings us on to case note five. Mm-hmm. Um, we get introduced to special FBI agent Ray Nadim. Um, and, yeah, our case note number five is Ray Nadim. New character. Um, and... His connection with Wilson Fisk here is interesting in that um, effectively he has been asked to kind of go and get this monthly statement that they are expecting not to get um, anything back from from Fisk at all. Yeah. Uh, and there's a big shocker here. But I think it's everything that sort of precedes this that maybe throws a little bit of shade onto Ray Nadine. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Nice way to introduce this character, a brand new character to the show, one we haven't seen before. Uh, really interesting to show him as being a man struggling with money. Uh, he does have a loving family around him, which we've seen a number of times on these shows. A criminal with a loving family around them is not something brand new, uh, for example. But we see that he's put his family into a lot of debt because of his sister-in-law's cancer treatment. She couldn't get um, any kind of financial assistance for this treatment that she so needed. And she's gone into remission, so all the work that he's done and all the money that he's put into it has achieved its goal. But uh, unfortunately, we didn't have any subtitles for this section on uh, on our preview screener um but i I know this section pretty much stands out you can tell what's what's being said his wife is saying that they've run out of all the money on all of their cards not just the one that he's uh, he's talking about everything from the mastercard to the library card she tried and he couldn't she couldn't buy anything at all so he's gotten himself into a really bad situation which is highlighted when he goes to ask for promotion from his boss at tammy hatley in in the fbi and she tells him that the reason she's been pushing off his discussion about his possible promotion is because she knows all about his financial problems um we go into into great depth on the podcast about a lot of things <laughs> and i did have to look this one up so i'm going to share it with the, with the listeners yeah absolutely because i found it fascinating absolutely fascinating the reason 
why mm-hmm. she was holding him back from that pay review and, and, and everything around that yeah. uh, promotion, I suppose, as well. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. I didn't find this hugely fascinating, but I know it, so you're going to know it too, fellow defenders. <laughs> she says his FICO score is 523. If you're not from the States, you probably have no idea what a FICO score is. It's basically a scoring system that determines whether you can get a mortgage or not. And the FICO system goes from about a 300 to about an 835. So if you're working for the FBI and your FICO score, which is your financial scoring, is somewhere in the 500 range, it basically means that you're not going to be able to get a loan. It means you're on under huge financial pressure. That mostly comes across really well. But just in case you're wondering, what the heck is a FICO score? Okay, that's what it is. I do hasten to add, I didn't find that fascinating right, because yeah. that is effectively whether you can get a mortgage. So, fellow defenders, just to uh, uh, highlight the fact, not the FICO score, I just loved the fact that because of all this debt that he has, she sees him as potentially that he's a recruitment target, Mm -hmm. you know, that he could be bribed. He can be corrupted because of the debt that he holds. Yeah. So that's what I found fascinating. The Mm -hmm. fact that she wouldn't kind of give him extra money so he could get out of debt, but actually she didn't want to progress him any further because he would know more and more sensitive information Mm -hmm. as he moves up, gets promoted. And that could potentially go into the hands of someone like Wilson Fisk um, because he is a target for recruitment by the criminal underworld. So I I found that a really nice way of knowing whether you're going to get promoted or not. Mm Mm-hmm. I know, it's a really interesting idea. That concept is is really cool that he's on a bit of a watch list because of his financial problems. And that gives us a little interesting moment at the end of the episode where he's gone out on the on the run to talk to Fisk, as John mentioned. And Fisk says to him, first he says, have you ever loved someone so much that you would do anything for them? And secondly says, yeah. I'm willing to offer a deal. Uh, Reina Deem's response to Fisk is, are you threatening me when he says that? And then effectively the credits roll as Fisk says, I want to make a deal. Um, we know it's for the protection of Vanessa, but one of the interesting things is that this takes a lot from the comic book arc of Born Again. I'll talk about that a bit more in the notes. But in Born Again, Wilson Fisk is the kingpin of crime. He would know down to the very, very minute detail what he could do to turn a character and to get them on his payroll. And I'm wondering here, has he made an offer to just Reina Deem of the FBI to say, you do these things for me and I'll get out of prison and you will get all the benefits and all the money that you need? Is that the offer that he's making to Reina Deem or is he making an offer to the FBI to sell information to keep Vanessa in protection? I'm wondering what what way it's going to go in the next episode because this isn't our comic book kingpin. This is the Wilson Fisk of Daredevil season one and season two uh, who hasn't got that power just yet, but he definitely has his finger in a lot of pies and definitely has a lot of knowledge about everything that's going yeah, on. Yeah, he so. knows that information is power, mm-hmm. intelligence is power, um, and he holds a lot of information on a number of different people. Yeah. He's still got the connections on the outside. Even if we just look at uh, Ben Donovan, we know what he was being asked to do by Black Mariah in Luke Cage. The idea that he wouldn't also, you know, contravene the lawyer's code yeah. uh, for Wilson Fisk um, is, you know, is probably um, he is going to do that. So. Wilson Fisk has got the outside connections. Yeah. So it is a great moment where he goes, I want to make a deal. As you say, 
Is it to the FBI as an organization? Is it to Raina Deem, the massively indebted uh, special agent Mm -hmm. who has significant financial problems to the point that all the credit cards are maxed out. Uh, I, I, what did his wife say? I had a payment snafu trying to get cooked turkey. So uh, really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, uh, that presumably will develop as the series exactly. goes on. But a, a great little moment because Wilson Fisk does know how to play the game for sure. Mm-hmm. And a great way to introduce this new character because we haven't seen it really with an FBI agent before. We've never really seen an FBI agent on the turn this way before where you're introduced to them not knowing what the job is. You usually get introduced to them with their job first and then later you find out they might have had trouble in the background. But in this case, I absolutely thought there was going to be something with Ray. I thought that he was filling up his gun with bullets to go and kill someone uh, to get money or to go and rob a bank or something like that. And then you find out actually he's walking in for a possible promotion in work in the FBI. It's quite interesting. So definitely be watching that uh, on the next episode. Um, I think that's it for all of our case notes, but I've got a few notes about the episode, John. Yeah. First one, I know we may have mentioned it earlier on in the season. My first note is just that we get reintroduced to St. Agnes as the orphanage uh, where Matt grew up we have seen it sort of in the previous episodes seen it mentioned but i just can't remember if we ever mentioned that daisy johnson from agents of shield quake from agents of shield also went to saint agnes's there's a possibility that they know each other or had spent some time around the same time as each other so fellow defenders keep watching those photographs in the background in case you might see daisy johnson on a photograph of some of the orphans uh, who went to saint agnes's in the past yeah, uh, one of my notes is certainly um, the beautiful piece of music playing in Rikers when we visit Kingpin, as Derek mentioned, is Chopin's Nocturne Opus 9, number two, which has been featured in absolutely tons and tons of movies and other TV shows as mm-hmm. well. Um, beautiful music, and yeah, it, it really is probably one of Chopin's uh, most well-known pieces of piano music. Yeah. So a uh, great uh, little bit of music there. I certainly remember uh, Mads Mikkelsen's Hannibal uh, and that music in the background at some point during Hannibal. He wasn't eating an omelette, though. I don't think he was. No, he wasn't. <laughs> Maybe had a, had some fava beans and a nice Chianti, though. Um, some images in this episode are lifted directly from the Born Again story arc by Frank Miller. Uh, not going to get into too much exactly what happens in that story arc, but quite interestingly, there's one moment where Matt falls out of bed to the floor uh, onto the lap of Sister Maggie. She calls him a stupid boy as he falls. Um, <laughs> but he put he, she puts his head on her lap, kind of in the opposite direction, bit of a flip from the panel from the arc of Born Again. But that's about three or four issues into the six-issue arc of Born Again. What we've seen before that in the story arc is Matt being broken down to this level uh, and kind of building himself back up from this moment where he meets where he meets Sister Maggie. This being at the start of the arc, following on from the Defenders, just slightly changing up uh, what's happening in there. But but quite interesting. Um, that golden cross that Sister Maggie uh, is trying to give to Matt and he just throws back on the bed, that has a specific importance within the book of Born Again. It, it's what Matt's always known from when he had the original accident. Someone did come to the uh, hospital and show him a golden cross and he sees that again later on uh, in this arc. So, um, so we do see some stuff in there, but it's much more important to Matt. This golden cross obviously is much more important to him uh, in the comic book arc than it is in the show here in the show it's just another way of stating that matt wants to turn his back on the teachings of the church and wants to turn his back on what he thought he was becoming in the soldier of god anyway 
Yeah, excellent stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be really interesting to see uh, to what extent they take from Born Again mm-hmm. uh, that story arc by Frank Miller and David Mazzuchelli. Yeah. Um, you know, is it just going to be the odd image, certain elements of it in mm-hmm. terms of storyline or arc? Um, it'll be really, really good. Will indeed it throw a, a few of the curveballs that uh, that storyline did as well with mm-hmm. regards to this relationship between um, Matt Murdock and Sister Maggie? Yeah. You know, so it would be really, really good. That's I really think. interesting. And, yeah. and just to stress, it's not going to be a translation of the Born Again story arc. If you want to go out and read that, you should be fine reading that without uh, without spoiling the show for yourself. Because unfortunately, as we've seen from these Netflix shows, a lot of characters that appear in these kind of comic books have already gone on the show. Um, they're already dead, so they're not going to be able to be featured in this storyline. But I think they're going to take a fair bit from it. But uh, definitely, if you want to do some further reading, I would suggest Born Again. Well, one thing left for this episode after our notes are done. John, do you defend the season three premiere of Daredevil? I really do defend this episode of Daredevil Season 3. I would give this four and a half crucifixes out of five. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think for me, this was a great refocusing um, back to Matt Murdock and, you know, a a nascent Daredevil back in his black suit. Um, I think... Just how it was shot as well, that you had Matt a lot of the time in focus and everything around him in soft focus. To me, just heightened this fact that this episode really does look to bring Matt Murdock and his story front and center, yeah. at least in this episode. And I think that's really important, given that we're two years since Daredevil Season 2, and it's great to reconnect directly to these characters within daredevil um after two years away and after their previous reappearance uh, in the defenders and i thought that was done so so well here and, and especially in those scenes with karen and matt karen in his apartment on her own and then karen with foggy talking about matt murdoch so many different levels there so many different layers all within a scene of maybe about 10 minutes, mm-hmm. a flashback um, and, and the current, you know, really, really good. So well done. And at the same time, we get the introduction of Sister Maggie and we get to find out more about Matt's past in terms of his uh, time spent at the orphanage at St. Agnes. Um, and we just have that journey of Matt sort of gradually recuperating but he's different it's not like he's just simply going back and being daredevil you know he puts on the black suit it's a resetting of daredevil Mm -hmm. he has changed his beliefs you know there is a different focus as to uh, him you know in a sense renouncing god here and being wary of his religion and his faith and sacrificing himself for god or in the name of god so there's real heavy stuff here uh, but it, i i really really like it and then of course we get wilson fisk on the other side who who is really reconnected back to season one uh again fantastic uh vincent d'onofrio mm-hmm. along with charlie cox are fantastic here and i really enjoyed the introduction uh of uh this new character the special agent reina deem such a great way of introducing him you know he has financial problems and just what 
that might entail with him uh, both in his job but also what that means to him when he meets Wilson Fisk mm-hmm. uh, and, and what might be going on there so absolutely defend this episode of Daredevil such a great start to the season mm-hmm. Derek do you defend this episode of Daredevil absolutely defend this episode exactly like you said John having the show off air for two and a half years that's something that only Netflix does. There's no other show that does that. There's no other series that you're watching one year and then you won't get any new episodes of your main cast in their own show for this long amount of time. We did have The Defenders, but that was trying to serve so many different masters that it didn't forward the story of Daredevil as much as it could have. There was definitely stuff in there that was really important for these characters and they needed this episode. It's slightly longer than most episodes, about 52 minutes. So they needed this episode to tell the story of where Matt was at the end of season two with his relationships with those characters and where they got to by the end of Defenders. I love some little throwaway lines of, you know, where's Electra? Matt, we buried Electra, says Father Lantham to him. Um, what's wrong with you? He's going, I know you buried her, but she did come back and now she's really dead, you know, and now I'm I'm going through another mourning process on Electra. Uh, they needed to just kind of layer this stuff in, but also tell a compelling story to get us involved in the characters again and get us interested to see what's happening in episode two of this show. And what a great way to do that, bringing back Wilson Fisk, bringing back Foggy and Karen and having their relationship reconnect together as friends who are going through a mourning process over Matt. It's really good to have those characters in there. And then, yes, the intrigue of what is going to happen with Kingpin. Uh, How is he going to manipulate the world around him to keep his loved ones safe in Vanessa. Uh, Really good to have them all in here. And I think it was absolutely necessary to bring Fisk in in this first episode because, once again, he needs to feel like a central character. And he is another central character in the Daredevil universe. So great choices in here. Really, really happy about this. And really, really looking forward to episode two of season three of Daredevil. Yeah, absolutely. So this is where we would normally have some feedback, but for the first couple of episodes, we won't just because we're recording ahead of release. Mm -hmm. Uh, But of course, please head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast and go to any of the spoiler posts on the group uh, and share your thoughts or comments uh, on each episode of daredevil season three but of course you can send an email directly to us at feedback at defenders tv podcast.com or we do like to hear people's voices uh, on this show uh, it is a podcast and so if you want to uh, send in some voicemail you can head on over to defenders tv podcast.com and go to the right hand tab uh, and leave up to 90 seconds of voicemail that we can play back on the podcast so go on Join the voicemail group. Or, of course, if you don't want to go to the website, you can just record it on your phone on MP3 and just email it to us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. We want to hear your thoughts about Daredevil Season 3. I've really been enjoying this first episode. I'm hoping that the rest of the season is going to keep up at a really good pace on this. We did get the really sad news in between our coverage of our last episode and this episode that, unfortunately, we have lost one of the Defenders from Um, Marvel Netflix in Iron Fist being cancelled after season two. We unfortunately will no longer get any more Iron Fist show. Uh, So we are very sad to hear that it was a a really sad announcement because we absolutely loved season two of Iron Fist. If you heard our podcast, we we talked through how much we really enjoyed what they were doing with the character, what they were setting up for season three. So knowing that that's gone and we're not going to get that, it's really sad. Yeah, uh, as a Iron Fist fan, uh, a big, big shame that we've lost um, season 
three of Iron Fist and the character so far from his own standalone show. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got hopes that he will be in a Heroes for Hire oh, yeah. or a Daughters of the Dragon. Um, but certainly I really hope we haven't lost Iron Fist for good from Marvel Netflix uh, and that he reincarnates a bit like the Iron Fist himself mm. uh, into uh, another show with Luke Cage or with Colleen Wing yeah. and Misty Knight. I think that would be really, really good. But certainly, yeah, it's sad news uh, for me and I think for Defenders TV podcast that a season three standalone Iron Fist show won't be back, especially given the tantalizing, the juicy ending of season two uh, in episode 10. And of course, I think, um, you know, that also goes for uh, our listeners and for fans of Iron Fist that yeah. they too are also really disappointed uh, with with that outcome. Because you can see the difference when you look at this episode of Daredevil, for example, versus all the stuff we've seen with um, with this character, with Matt Murdock over the last two and a half years since his show was on. The loss of a show like Iron Fist Season 3 means we won't get to see the background characters like the Meachams. We won't ever get to see Ward Meacham on a show again. Like That's really disappointing. He's been such a good character. Joy Meacham's gone. She had her own tantalizing arc. It puts into question, will we see Mary Walker again? Because the last time we saw her was with Joy Meacham. And if you lose Joy Meacham and you lose that story, how are you going to be able to use mary walker again you know it's it's really tough to have to say goodbye to those characters in those series but uh, we know everybody involved in the show did a great job on it because we watched it and really enjoyed it and we know a lot of the fans are crying out for more and you never know we might see uh, the show back again in the future but unfortunately not on netflix they have officially cancelled the show Yep, so it, it's a, a little bit of sad news, really, for our first episode of Daredevil Season 3. But hopefully we can rejoice in Season 3 of Daredevil, especially if it's as good as this episode was. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, as we said earlier in the show, please um, head on over and subscribe to our podcast over at Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Please share the love by sharing the podcast and listening to Defenders TV podcast. Mm -hmm. Our next review of Daredevil Season 3, Episode 2 will be out over the weekend, and then we should be having an episode on Tuesdays and Fridays every week as usual. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, fellow Defenders. We'll talk to you again next time. As always, fellow Defenders, it has been a pleasure speaking with you. I'm off to make a deal with the devil. Or is that Wilson Fisk? Or maybe it's my FICO agent so I can get a mortgage. Uh, (laughs) But once that deal is made and I'm safely ensconced in a detached house with five bedrooms, uh, we'll be back to speak with you again soon. Bye. Bye.